You're listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast, conversations on faith, life, and leadership. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. As we near the end of Paul's second letter to Timothy, Paul begins to further explain his personal situation. Paul knew that he was close to death, and he found himself abandoned, isolated, betrayed, and alone. Paul had suffered so many physical consequences of his ministry, but it is these emotional wounds that seem most painful to him in the end. Still, Paul had not lost hope. Even alone on trial with no one there to support him, he sensed the presence of Christ who stood with him in all things. It's a reminder to all of us as we faithfully seek to serve our Savior. No matter what we face, we never face it alone. Pastor Jim, it's great to be together again, and uh, great to be nearing the end of our letter to 2 Timothy. We've given it a number of weeks and uh, uh, been able to do 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy back-to-back, and man, what a a powerful experience it's been, just to better understand Paul and Timothy's situation, but also to use it as a tool for personal reflection on life and ministry. It's been really great. Well, again, I'm grateful that you're taking the journey with me and all of our listeners taking this journey and You've been on other journeys yourself, right, in recent weeks, but it is fun to sit down together again. Well, I want to—Paul makes a a kind of personal move towards the end of his letter. We're picking up in 2 Timothy chapter 4, around verse 9, I think is where we left off last week. Uh, Paul's really describing, I think, at the end of this letter, uh, what for him is a a series of discouragements or disappointments or pains. I mean, how would you characterize— what's moving Paul into this. We can talk specifically about them in a moment, but generally the sort of ending of this letter. We in past podcasts have talked about the Paul who doesn't just freely name names all the time, especially mm-hmm. in the body of a letter. But uh, this is such a personal, intimate letter to such a close ministry partner. Paul's about to die. It is actually the what we'll be looking at today are some of the last words we have from the Apostle Paul and uh he just is uh he just is kind of opening his heart and exposing some pain you know he he really hopes Timothy doesn't go down the same right, but he will talk about people who betrayed him and stabbed him in the back and abandoned him and uh it's an unusually it's an unusually painful passage of scripture it's unusually transparent even for the apostle Paul. And uh, I, I, I go back to it many times, actually, not that I live with all the people that have hurt me, but you can't lead long without, you know, just that pain of the, especially with ghosting these days, people who leave your church, don't even talk to you, and you're still not sure if they're still online or if they're in person. Um, the critics, the uh, the people who you invest in over and over, and then suddenly they kind of just leave you and it's it's like you, you your heart gets battered in in especially pastoral leadership and and this is this is where i i i really meet paul i it's not like i mean the lord's been pretty gracious to me although i've had sometimes i've been pretty deeply hurt by people but i i don't know even at the level that paul has here i mean it it just is pretty pretty amazing to watch paul talk this transparently about the relational, um, the the relational hits he's taken. Yeah, it is easy to read Paul and think 
Paul's always charging full steam ahead and he's taking beatings and he's getting up and going to the next place. And, yeah. but you can't read these words without getting a more human picture of Paul too, to recognize, well, that's true. Paul is always yeah. sort of pressing forward for the gospel. Um, he also knows he feels things. He experiences right. pain and loss. He's aware of them. He's hoping to avoid them in the future. Um, that he's a real person like all of us trying to do ministry in a complicated world. I think it says interesting thing about pain. Sometimes I've wondered, <clears throat> is emotional pain worse than physical pain? Mm. And for instance, Paul tells us elsewhere that he'd been flogged five times, 39 times each time, you know, on five different occasions. But that doesn't seem to be the kind of pain he seems to carry with him to the end time. He's not He's not talking about how much his back still hurts. He He's talking about his heart, where his heart still hurts. And uh, I, I think we have to be really careful about uh, physical pain is no fun at all. God help us. But, but we can really carry emotional pain. It can be very devastating. You identify when you were writing on this passage a few of these things specifically, and I thought it might be helpful to walk through them and see how Paul experienced them. And um, perhaps there's ministers that have experienced all of these. Perhaps it's one of these. Perhaps you're in a season of one of these. But I think seeing it in the life of Paul is helpful for recognizing in your own life. The first of those that you describe is Paul's experience of rejection. How does Paul experience rejection? Yeah. Uh, You know, having kind of involved in... uh, in actual vocational ministry while I was ministering mainly to university students, boy, I just, my eyes were just open at how much rejection people live with and how the fear of rejection controls our decisions and how that, that kind of spirit of rejection can get so a part of us that we even sabotage relationships because in the end we need to be rejected. Well, Paul didn't quite have that psychosis, I don't think, but it still really hurts to be rejected. And he, and he starts with Demas. In, in fact, it seems like the crisis with Demas is going to precipitate Paul asking Timothy to leave Ephesus, where he had been on assignment to help correct all the doctoral problems. This is what we've been talking about for months now as we've gone through First and Second Timothy. But he's going to call Timothy off the job and to come be with him. And, and he says, for, you don't want to read too much into it, but he said, Timothy, come to me, for Demas, for Demas, because he loved this present world, uh, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So um, Demas is mentioned in Colossians 4. He's mentioned in the book of Philemon. He was obviously one of Paul's ministry partners and one of Paul's traveling partners. And somehow Demas got seduced. If you're a Star Wars fan, you would say he got seduced by the dark side. He, he, he said he loved, he, having loved this present world. So you can read into that what you want. Um, it could have been anything from, I'd rather, I'd rather not live, I'd rather live a little more safely than I do hanging around with Apostle Paul. I'd, I'd rather not be risking being imprisoned or beaten up or tortured and all that. Uh, or it may have been that he, he truly, he, he truly was just drawn by, it's the lusts of our age. This is the spirit of the, our, our age. You know, we, we, we've been talking about, you know, that, that spirit out there just where people are deconstructing their faith and they're just being, the culture has such a magnetic pull spiritually on people that, that it seems like it's, it, it's impossible but not conform. And so you reconstruct your faith around this pull to just conform to the culture. Uh, and, and Demas, being one of Paul's ministry partners and traveling partners, 
would have shared a lot of similar values to Paul at one time. But but now, in so many words, Paul is saying, Demas, having been seduced by this world, has rejected everything that I hold valuable, everything that my life is about. And so he uses the word deserted. He said, Demas has deserted me. This is a rejection word. This is, this is like he turned his back on me, and he turned us back on everything that's important to me, and he's gone another way. I know for a parent where they have a child that does that, it's incredibly painful. Um, uh, and, and Paul, he had no biological children, but, but, but he had these wonderful partners. He called Timothy and Titus his sons in the faith. Demas was somebody who was a trusted partner, and he rejected everything that Paul stood for and turned his back on it, went back into the world. That's why it hurts so deeply that he'd actually take Timothy off the case in off his assignment in uh, Ephesus and send Tychicus instead. I mean, he, he, he was hurting here. Yeah. Another one of these you specifically pinpoint is the experience of isolation that isolation. falls in a moment of real isolation, which is a, can be a kind of pain for people. Uh, when, when you come, he writes uh, a couple of verses later to, to Timothy, when you do come, you know, so T- Demas deserted me, you come. When you do come, uh, bring the cloak I left with, uh, I, I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchment. So I really want to know what's on those parchments, by I, the way. I know, so. yeah. Some, <laughs> some scholars speculate that those were some of his legal documents, you know, mm. and um, if there's any chance of him getting out of his present imprisonment or avoiding the death sentence. Um, he may need them. But you, you, yeah, everybody speculates. Some of them may be the scriptures themselves at that time, Old Testament scriptures. But um, yeah, it's fascinating. But it reminds us, first of all, that winter's coming. We know that from a few verses later. And uh, so bring my cloak. It's going to get cold in this prison. Nothing worse than being hungry and cold at the same time. And he would be that. And then he would, uh, and then the boredom and, uh, and like, like, bring me my parchments. I, I I need to be able to read something. And he was a scholar, and he is now in a Roman dungeon. He's been deprived of things that would stimulate him intellectually. He does have the presence of God with him, the presence of the Lord. But the things that would that would stimulate him intellectually, a cloak to keep him warm. I mean, just that short list of uh, of could you pick these things up on your way here because I could really use him, just reminds me that he's in isolation. And also in the previous couple of verses, he he says, um, he says, Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me right now. And so, um, you know, this, this isolation, he doesn't have many of his friends around him and uh, he's in prison. So the short laundry list of things he wants just reminds me he's in prison. And he's pretty. He's really confined. He's really isolated. Another one of those elements is specifically betrayal. That Paul has yeah. not just been abandoned, but that he's experiencing real betrayal. Here's where he talks about Alexander. He said, uh, "Alexander, the metal worker, uh, did me a great deal of harm." And uh, when you take apart the Greek, there it's hard to read too much into it, but it has this idea that he stabbed me in the back. Some scholars say that 
Alexander could have been responsible for this particular arrest of Paul. Yeah, because Paul was under kind of a house arrest, seems to have been freed at some point, was right. back in missionary, and then we don't yeah. know what happened, but somehow he's rearrested, and now it's yeah. sort of a graver situation. He's it's actually a much being graver held in situation. prison. Yeah. yeah, so the question is, how did he end up in prison the second time? And some people link these dots, Paul in prison with Alexander the metal worker uh, turning him in. It was it was a case of betrayal, and he uses like like betrayal language. He did me a great deal of harm, or literally, you could you translate the Greek there. He did me much evil, and we don't know if it's the same Alexander that's in Acts nineteen or First Timothy chapter one, because Alexander was a pretty common name. But it's clearly somebody somewhat Timothy knew about, and uh, and. You know, the only other thing Paul adds here is that he strongly opposed our message. So whether whether he was a church member that had gotten into false doctrine or whether whether he was a tradesman, he was a metal worker, a tradesman who profited from the idol-making industry and just was determined at shutting Paul down because people would get converted under Paul's preaching and leave their idolatry, and that would affect— it got so strong in Ephesus a few years earlier— that it actually started to affect the whole economy of the city that so many people were forsaking idolatry. So these tradesmen were were being pushed out of business because of the revival. And um, it, it, it could have been that. It could be that Alexander never knew the Lord at all. It, it's hard to say. Um, there's not much more evidence given. But he he probably was somewhat responsible for, for uh, getting Paul locked up again. That's true betrayal. Uh, The fourth of those, the last one that you highlight is the experience of abandonment. Yeah. Abandonment. After walking through uh, those other three, then, then, then he says at my first defense, which would have been a pretrial in Rome, you could possibly have witnesses at a pretrial. You could definitely have people in the galleries who are your supporters. But Paul says this rather remarkable thing. At my first defense, no one came to my support. But everybody deserted me. <laughs> it, was, it just puts a knife in my heart, you know. But, I mean, you go, my, that's painful. Well, and especially, I mean, here Paul has been all over the known world and planted churches and raised up churches and written letters and brought people along and trained them up in ministry and sent them out. And he's in many ways leading this movement to the Gentiles amongst the Christian church. I mean, Paul's connected to everybody, been everywhere, and he finds himself in this moment of need, and there's right no at, one that shows up. No one shows up. He he walks into that trial room or setting or whatever where it was. He looks around. Nobody from the church in Rome is there. None of his ministry partners are there, and we know most of them already are out of town. We know that Timothy's in Ephesus. It's, he he does say a few verses earlier, Luke is with me, but he had already sent Tychicus to replace Timothy, and probably Luke had not arrived yet. It was kind of in that in-between time where where he really was isolated from most of his friends. But but he seemed to have, it seems to infer that, that if people really wanted to, if they had the guts or had the care, 
they could have showed up. I mean, at least a few people from the church, maybe some of the leaders in the in the church there in Rome could have at least sat in the galleries and just been a familiar face. But Paul gets in there, he looks around, and there's not one person that showed up uh, to to give him support. At the end of all those years of ministry you just described, I mean, it's pretty disheartening. There's a sense to me, too, that though he doesn't specifically mention it, that time is this important element. I mean, Paul seems to be looking back. He's describing current situations, but he's also reflecting on things that have happened. And there seems to even be this sense of those who were with me for so long that through time and the difficulties of ministry as it accumulates over the years, even they change or uh, you experience abandonment. Um how do you think we started this conversation by talking about these emotional pains or these emotional experiences? How does just time itself tend to accumulate those things or, or sort of sometimes even deepen the wound of them? Yeah. Um, time heals all wounds. They say, I'm not sure about that. I think some pain you carry to your grave and uh, you want to forgive them. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Right. Right at the end of, of of saying, you know, at my first defense, nobody came to my support. They all, de- he used that word deserted again. They all deserted me. Um, uh, and uh, he said, I was delivered into the lion's mouth, but the Lord will rescue me. And, and, and he talks about wanting to, you know, let it go. Like Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. I do think our part in, in dealing with pain over time is you got to let it go. You can't carry the baggage with you all the time. Otherwise, it keeps accumulating. Uh, and, and part of the mercy of, of the call of God to us to forgive people who hurt us is to just let it go, to not feel the pressure to get even, to not take justice into our own hands. Like, I got to make this right. I got to get back at them. I got to get them to admit what they did. I got to admit, I got to get them to see how, how much they hurt me. I mean, those kind of things with time, I think, uh, deepen our pain and leave you with in a, in an emotional and a spiritual trap even where, where you become paralyzed in that pain and forever affected by it. You don't trust like you used to trust anymore. You, you, you become like crippled emotionally and, uh, you don't have the capacity to adapt. You would have had otherwise now all, all the things that, that the deep pain that's not resolved properly. I think one of the ways is of course, forgiving other people. Um, and, uh, and, and time will take care of, I, I do think time is a healer as, as we just keep walking in the spirit of God, give him time. I do think forgive things like forgiveness, is a choice before it's a feeling and you know it takes a while for feelings to change but we we just need to let 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 time heal and not let time clog our spiritual arteries with things we just don't deal with and let go and pretty soon you just start your spiritual life just starts clogging up with all this stuff and you start getting stuck in past realities that emotionally some people never get past. It it also strikes me as really interesting that Paul, he's still invested in relationships and friendships. That I mean, the reason this letter is being written is his deep affection for Timothy, his desire to see Timothy. Because I've I've seen people pastorally that are deeply wounded by a close friend or perhaps a family member that sort of takes the approach, well, the way to solve this is 
to never have a friend and to never be vulnerable, right? So I, I know how to keep people from hurting me. I'll just never open my life up to anyone else. And that's how I'll protect myself. But for all of the abandonment and isolation and betrayal, Paul doesn't do that. I mean, some of his most moving words of friendship or relationship are in this very letter, even as he's acknowledging all the ways relationships have wounded. You know, I've always been amazed at that. Uh, you are so right there. In fact, you know, that famous, that famous little statement, like, and bring Mark with you for he's useful to me. You know, he's the guy Paul and Bartimus fought over and separated over. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and so it's always a great kind of full circle part of that story that Mark's redeemed in Paul's eyes. And, and he actually wants Mark to come because of the usefulness of his ministry. So that's a great full story, full circle story in Mark's life. But it's interesting where he puts it. He puts it right in the middle of of these descriptions of people that betrayed him and abandoned him and and rejected him. I mean, it's right in the middle of that, right here at the end of Second Timothy four, and and so it's like, what what a thing it is when we're hurt that we still value the friends we do have, and and I do think if if time's going to heal, you, you got to really stay focused on the friends you do have. The, th those four things that we looked at, rejection, isolation, betrayal, and abandonment, I realized one day that, that, that they are the opposite of very legitimate needs every one of us have relationally. Um, you know, we need acceptance, and of course, rejection would be the opposite of that. We, we need intimacy. We, we need friendship, not, not just sexual intimacy. We need emotional intimacy with people, and, and isolation makes that impossible. We, we, we need loyalty. I mean, we need to have, you know, loyal friends, but betrayal would be the opposite of that. And, and we need to have in our life people we, we trust beyond just loyalty. We, we just trust them. And, and to be actually abandoned, uh, I thought they'd be there for me. I looked around and nobody was there to help me. Um, you know, you got to be able to trust that some of your friends are going to be there for you. It's the old cliche, you know, I really found when I started going through a hard time, I really found out who my friends really were, you know. And so it's a legitimate need to trust. So acceptance, intimacy, loyalty, trust. Those are legitimate relational needs that every one of us need. And just because you experience the opposite, like rejection, isolation, betrayal, and abandonment, doesn't mean that you can't still you can't still pursue because those are legitimate needs. We, we, those needs need to be met in our lives. And if they're not being met in healthy ways, uh, we, we spin out and uh, we end up in the ditch emotionally. Maybe our ministry ends up in the ditch. And, and so you keep fighting those for those kind of friendships. That really does amaze me that Paul still valued the friends he still had in spite of how many times he'd been hurt. There is, it's almost like a counterintuitive move that at the very moment I'm being wounded, by friends that I trusted, right. instead of pulling away from friendship and trust and barricading myself in my own protection, I'm going to actually lean further into those friends that are still there for me, yeah. which feels very counterintuitive. It reminds me of that, um, that great C.S. Lewis section. I think it's in Mere Christianity where he talks about to love anything is to be vulnerable. Yes. And that if you if you try not to love something, if you won't risk vulnerability, you can lock your heart up in a in a casket, right? To protect or lock it up in a safe to protect it. But he says that safe becomes a casket and the thing that you thought you were protecting in the end you destroy, right? You destroy. So it. you you think you're protecting yourself by limiting your exposure to friendship, but you're actually destroying yourself and your inability to have friends in the very way you think you're protecting yourself from it. Exactly. Kind of the anomaly 
anomaly of a fallen world, isn't it? You can't really truly love without getting hurt Mm. or at least risking that you're going to get very hurt. Really, in many ways, though, the center of this passage seems to be the move that Paul makes to describe his friendship with God, that at the end of the day, should all abandon him, he asked Christ. Um, It's hard to ask that as a question. How central is this for Paul? I mean, it seems so obviously this is his source, this is his strength. I, I love I love the fact that 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 Paul seemed to value God's friendship even more than human loyalty, obviously. And it really comes out in that moment where he says, In my pre trial I walked in that courtroom, I looked around, and nobody was there for me. Everybody had deserted me. I was all alone. And then he gives us that wonderful word, B U T, but he said, the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. I've, I've, it's, it's, it's powerfully moving for me to think. He stood there fighting away all the feelings after all this lifelong, powerful career in ministry. And near, right there near the end, nobody's, nobody's with him. But he said, the Lord, and he's very specific, the Lord stood like he stood right beside me and he gave me strength. The Lord stood with me and gave me strength. And that's where, that's the unshakable bottom line, right? That, and, and the proclamation of the gospel, uh, you know, as Paul would say in Acts 20, he would say, my life's, you know, not worth anything to me, but I just need to f- fulfill the preaching of the gospel. And, and he says, the Lord stood with me and gave me strength in that courtroom so that through me um, the message might be fully proclaimed. And and so this passion for Jesus and this passion for Jesus' mission uh, seemed unmoved. It seemed like n- no amount of pain physically or emotionally seemed to get him to budge when it came to the solidity of his friendship with Jesus and his commitment to Jesus' mission. So that's pretty challenging to me. I find myself, I imagine a lot of people listening to saying, uh, I want that experience, that confidence of knowing Christ stands with me. Um, We talked about the pool of culture around us and the way deconstruction has been happening, the the inevitable pain that accumulates over years of ministry. Uh, to have that sense that through all of it, through the the pool of the world that we talked about, through the the experience of betrayal, through the isolation that we sometimes have, that Christ not only knows those experiences yes. but stands with us in the midst of those experiences is um, a desire that perhaps we could just take to prayer and, and yeah. make a prayer for ourselves, but also those listening. It's amazingly profound, and it is the bottom line. So, Lord, we thank you for your grace which is uh, more than the fact you've declared us forgiven, but you have, by your Spirit, you stand with us and give us strength. Thank you for that grace of God. Thank you that you're for us and not against us, and yet it's so easy, Lord, for us to get knocked off kilter. But we just pray, Lord, that you will make us strong in you. We pray, God, where the, the winds of the culture seem to, Blow so so hard to stand against it sometimes, Lord. Where um, people are adversarial to us and not supportive, 
or where people are just indifferent and it it just bothers us to the core. My God, independent of how people are treating us, independent of the winds that are blowing against us in the culture, we pray in Jesus' name that you will you will help us to stand because you stand with us and give us strength. Lord, let this be. Be real to us. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. We need you. Let your word be a solid core in our lives. And let your spirit, which works with the word, um, just stand with us and give us strength. Thank you for this, Lord. Just help us, Lord. Lord, some of us are teetering right now. Some of us have just been really knocked off kilter by people or by or by culture. We just pray that we'll come clinging to you again. What can we do but cling to you? And uh, we thank you for your capacity to lift us up. Would you do that, Lord Jesus? Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast. We would uh, really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us some feedback on the show. You can do that by leaving a rating or by typing out a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we hope you might consider subscribing to the show. We're looking forward to a lot of the conversations to come in the weeks ahead, and it would mean a lot to us if you'd be a part of those. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to ask Pastor Jim to hear him cover, we'd appreciate it if you'd take the time to send those in. You can do that by email by going to questions at jimbradford.org. We'd love to be able to take a look at those and get them featured on the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.